What up, podcast listeners? On this episode of the podcast, I'm hanging out with Chad Sowash, who I, you know, got a little bit of like, you know, podcast envy because he's repping the Chad and Cheese podcast that is just absolutely blowing up to the point where that's what he's taking on full time. He is a military man. So I just want to say a huge thank you, uh, Chad, to you for your service. And he's now taking on the world of talent acquisition, recruiting, hiring vendors, and just being one of the most entertaining human beings on the internet. Super stoked to have uh, done this podcast with him. He also, uh, in the middle of one of his podcasts, referred to Wedge, Wedgie, you know, that whole side of things. And so, you know, I just had to get him on and we had to talk a little smack. So, Chad, thanks a ton for this episode. Thanks for all that you do. Keep repping the Chad and Cheese podcast. And we are so stoked uh, just to have been connected and uh, a lot of things moving forward. So thanks a ton, Chad. Chad, thanks for being a guest on this podcast. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I, well, I gotta be honest. My first exposure to you, um, (laughs) was, uh, you calling my business wedgie and it was one of those classic things where it's like, man, oh man, all publicity is good publicity, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's what we think on the show. Not everybody uh, agrees, but that's, you know, that's our thoughts. I, yeah, exactly. You gotta, you know, people take the world way too seriously. And especially if you, if you're like building a brand and you can't take like a funny off, offhanded comment i kind of like it actually i feel like it makes i feel like it makes really good t-shirts at some point in our career but yes and memes <laughs> exactly oh my goodness yeah and that's how all things tiktok if as long as we get on tiktok we're good exactly exactly <laughs> so tell me uh, the algorithm exactly well, well they're still working on that we'll see if microsoft keeps up with it too yeah. so <laughs> So I know you got this crazy background from what I can see and people I've talked to. So, so give me just like the life story. I, I, I want to hear what the, uh, <laughs> who Chad is and what he's up to today. But give me the, give me the little background first. Ooh, so May 27th, 1971 at 622 AM, Chad Soash met the world. Now, uh, seriously, you know, my, my, I guess my career really launched uh, right out of high school when I realized that I just went through 12, 13 years of school and I wasn't doing that shit anymore. So I went directly into the uh, military. So I went into the army and, uh, the, the, the GI was that, bill. Was that really, was that really like the justification? Cause like, okay. So I've always wondered guys ah. who, first off, thank you for, uh, thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. Um, on, on a serious note, but I yeah. also, I, I know that people who enter the military either go, I don't want to pay for college. It's a great avenue. I have nowhere to go in my career. It's a great, or there's people who are super passionate. And so I always love like, what was like the true, I'm just going to the military. This is where I'm going to go. Is that, was that, was that it? You just didn't want to go to school? It was the very first point of clarity in my entire life. I was in, in 17 years old. Uh, I knew that I just didn't want to continue to do this, to carry around books. I wasn't great at it. I wasn't passionate about it. And I wanted to be able to get out and see the world. I wanted uh, Uncle Sam to pay for my college because I didn't have rich parents. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was that was really it. Going for four years, come out on the other side, get into college and, and see what the world would bring me. And that's uh, that's pretty much what I did. But I did I did when I came out, uh, I stayed in the reserves for another 16 years. So I stayed in a full 20. But uh, it was it was interesting. My 1989 continue to date myself. I graduated. I would have pegged you like twenty five. Yeah, so, you, know, you, yeah. Don't, you don't. You don't. You don't need to do any of the dates <laughs> if you don't want to. <laughs> I uh, I graduated high school, graduated basic training, graduated 
advanced individual training. So all this graduation shit, I kept going, you know, they kept, they, in the military, they just keep sending you to school. I did not know that. So they just keep sending you to school. Uh, after, uh, advanced individual training, they sent me to Panama and I found myself about a month in, in Panama stationed there, dug into the side of uh, a hill, uh, taking enemy fire and mortar fire. So that was my 1989, and uh, it did not turn out the way that I thought it would. But you know, obviously, it, uh, it it didn't turn out too badly at the end of it because when they stopped shooting, you had the most beautiful beaches in the world, most beautiful women. It was it was it was a good time being 18, 19. Well, talk about a roller coaster ride. You're either getting shot at, or you're staring at beautiful women on a beach. I mean, it's what a <laughs> it's yeah. kind of kind of an extreme back and forth. So. <laughs> So, uh, 1980, you, you started when you were 17, took about two years and then that's, you were active combat. Yeah. Yeah. In active for whatever you want to call it for that very short amount of time, the Panamanians, uh, just kind of laid, laid shit down and the rest of them went and hid in, hid in the jungle. But, uh, yeah, after my, after my four years, I popped out. And got my first job. You're gonna love this. Definitely dating myself as a copier and fax salesperson. That uh, uh, do I just call you Jim Halper, or do Dude. I call you do I, do I Trude, or come on, man? What? I'm telling you right now <laughs> that that was trial by fire. And the only reason the <laughs> only reason that I got the job really is because my dad was the regional sales manager. And I, I was like, wait, what? what's your, what's your last name? Yeah. <laughs> and so he, he said, I'm like, dad, I have no sales experience whatsoever. He's like, it doesn't matter. Number one, you were in the military. You know what a mission is. You know what the objective is. You know where to be places on time. You know, to treat people with respect, all that sales stuff. I can teach you that stuff, right? I'm not worried about that. And that kind of opened my eyes to, wow, I can do a lot more shit than I thought I could. And being thrown into, I think, one of the hardest sales jobs in the world right out of the gate uh, just helped me cut my teeth and, and open my eyes. So uh, that's, that's, how, that's how I got into sales, at least. So you, you did, um, before, you got, before you got into that, you did four years in the military, and then you did, uh, what, I'm, I, I, you did 16 years of basically reserves. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, in total, four years active, the rest. So I finished my 20 out uh, in the military uh, as a reservist. Cool. I was, awesome. uh, I was, I was activated a couple of times, different stories. I promise. Uh, activated a couple of times where I, uh, was working as a full-time drill sergeant down in Fort Benning, Georgia, training infantry troops two and a half years. When you're given an assignment, I want to harp on one thing in the Panama thing, and then we'll, yeah. I want to I want to dive into the being a drill sergeant. When you're given an assignment like that, I mean, is it literally just in the form of like a paper documentation? They say, "Hey, this is where you're going, and this is the mission." Or like, is it more vague? Is it more detailed? I'm always just curious. Like, you know, I would say it's probably fair to say majority of Americans didn't think we were like inv- American troops were involved in a war in Panama, right? And so, what does that look like to the actually being in in involved in it and being assigned to that like is it just hey here's your mission and then this is what you're trying to do or how is that sort of presented to you does that yeah, make sense yeah yeah it does you you are assigned to a unit 
is what happens because I was going to be permanent party. They say permanent, but you're never permanently anywhere in the military. But I was, I was uh, sent orders to be permanent party down in Panama. I was there for a month. Things started to escalate while I was there. And while you're there, I was a part of uh, Bravo Company 193rd uh, Combat Support Unit. And while you're there, that's when orders start to come down and your, your, your brigade, your battalion, everybody starts to get the orders. They start to break those up and then you figure out what you're supposed to be doing. Amazing. Cool. I, uh, I've always had a heart for the military. I've had family in, in it. I, uh, did go to college, did not go to the military. It's always something that I know for my extended life, I'll feel a little guilty that I didn't do. I couldn't get into the military now because I've had seven concussions and like, I would, I would like fail. Uh, I would actually legitimately, even if I was going to, I'd legitimately fail like a med test. So, so, so do you just like fall down and hit your head just, you know, every now and again, or was this like a football related thing? How does, how do you, how does one get seven concussions? Well, truth be told, I can't remember. So, okay, you know. that makes sense. <laughs> no, but uh, the the first four were I played lacrosse and football, so like two two in football, two in lacrosse. Yeah. My fifth one, um, I <laughs> not that we need to spend the hour talking about this, but I I uh, I got bumped uh, playing lacrosse, hit my head, popped right back up, kept playing. I don't know when, like I don't remember any of this. Yeah, but I kept playing. It was like right before halftime. I came over to like our huddle, <clears throat> told one of my buddies, I was like. Dude, the lights are really bright right now. And my dad's a doctor. My dad was a doctor and he always took pictures on the sidelines. And so he like my buddy just apparently had no idea what to do. Walked me over to my dad and I apparently was like complaining about how loud the music that wasn't being played was playing. And my my dad was like, yeah, I think we're going to I think we're going to pull you out of here for a while. And so I don't remember the day before day of or day after. Um, And then just like. The two after that were one, I got bumped playing uh, pickup basketball. And the other one, I got elbowed in the schnoz playing pickup football or like flag football or whatever. So <laughs> I just should walk around with bubble wrap around my head all the time. So those are those are more fun stories than mine. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, so if I basically ask you a question that, you know, I already asked you, you're going to know the reason why. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> all right. Enough about me. So so you end up being a drill sergeant in Georgia. Um, I is is like is that standard after your three or four years in the military previously to be bumped up to a drill sergeant was that like a unique circumstance i mean what would you consider was that a prestige at the time in comparison to the other things you were doing yeah in the reserve so kind of jump forward a little bit i was out of active duty i was in the reserves i was in corporate america i actually had uh had left copier sales to go to radio sales. So I was in broadcast radio. I had this uh, recruiter call me and ask, ask me if I wanted to uh, work for uh, a company that was online. And I was this huge online geek. And this was in um, 98. And I was like, yeah, I want to talk to these guys. They're in Indianapolis, Indiana. The co- name of the company was Online Career Center. And uh, so I took a job there. And a few months later, we launched monster.com. So I was actually there when the, the, all the, everything pretty much came together. Just a few months later, we, we, we uh, launched monster.com, which was a fusing of online career center, OCC.com and monster.com. Um, 
left there. So a little bit later, I was actually called back to active duty. That's what happens when you're in the reserves. They can just yank you out of your out of your spot. I was actually uh, in a VP position at direct employers at the time, and um, I'd picked that job. And and that was one of the things you can do in the reserves that you can't do in active duty when it comes to being a drill sergeant. In active duty, you have to be department of the army selected, which is pretty much a lottery to be quite frank. And uh, in the reserves, you get to be dumb enough to say, hey, I want to be a drill sergeant, which which was me. So that's what I did. I chose, I went to drill sergeant school, infantry school, all those fun things. And uh, Uncle Sam yanked me out of my VP position uh, for the first time. It was a year and a half. The second time, which was two years later, was a, another year. So I had two stints working as a as a drill sergeant. Did you enjoy it? Like actually, the the quote unquote day to day of it. Did you enjoy it, dude? I have to say, while you're doing it, it is the worst job in the world. The reason being. You're going through basic training every day of your life and not just once. I went through basic training 10 plus times, right? And everybody always says, oh my God, basic training. And when you're a drill sergeant, you can't just be fair to middling. You have to be pretty much, I call it God mode. You have to go to God mode and that has to be you because these these guys are looking up to you and they're, and they were in most cases going to be going to the battlefield and anywhere from weeks to months. So you really have to be on your game. Looking back, it it was an amazing time because now I get to see the quote unquote kids that I was training my trainees to become infantrymen and the amazing and distinguished uh, careers that they've had. So uh, it makes it good at the end of it. Let's just say that. But getting up every day and sleeping four hours a night, it, n- never fun. <laughs> That's why you need the extra cup of coffee this morning. You're still catching up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so drill sergeant for uh, drill sergeant for you did, you said two cents of that. Um, then uh, what, 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 what's next? What, what I guess I'm, I'm just so curious. Like, obviously you, you stepped into, the world of monster.com pre-monster, and then you became you became a uh, drill sergeant. Were you working at all in your corporate job, or was it all military all the time at that point? Yeah, well, when when you're activated, so when when Uncle Sam pulled me out of my my corporate job and said you're coming to work for me for as long as I want you to, then you're working for Uncle for as long as you know he wants. But for the most part what you do is you do that weekend warrior thing and you work your corporate job. As I'd said, I was, I was a VP at direct employers association. I was at pretty much after I left monster. Uh, and I was there for 10 years in in a VP position pulled out twice. So most of the time I was there, I was just working my corporate job and one weekend a month I would go train and brush up on my skills and so on and so forth. Uh, but when we knew, that we were going down to Georgia for, uh, you know, a year plus, then we had months to get ready to really sharpen and hone and get into, again, get into God mode before, uh, before we were launched down there. So, uh, it is, it is pretty cool because you get an opportunity to be that civilian 
and be that that troubleshooter or that solution provider on a daily basis. But then you go to the military and it, it and it's the same thing, but the odds in in everything else are just so much higher, right? It, you don't have to worry about life and death on a daily basis when you're in the corporate world behind a desk or, you know, going and giving presentations on stages. It's entirely different when you're you're doing that type of training. So I'm not bilingual and I'm not going to try to pretend to be, but one of the things that I've heard is that the moment you basically know that you're truly bilingual is you start dreaming in the other language. So if you speak English, you start dreaming in Spanish. That's that's what I've heard. I don't know that to be true, but it is. (laughs) Is there any like crossover effect with like military and uh, the corporate world? Like, did you struggle with the mental switching back and forth of like, being a drill sergeant and then maybe managing teams in the corporate world that take a little bit different approach. Was there any like mental switching on and off that was a struggle? Well, there, there is decompression time first off. Um, so we'll go through that real quick. When I came back, uh, both times I told my executive director, okay, I'm going to be in my office for two weeks with the door shut. I'm going to catch up on emails, get back into the groove. Nobody needs to bother me. Because again, I was in a persona that, again, which is what I called God mode. That's what I was. That's what I had to be. That's what I needed to be for those, for those trainees, right? I had to be mama. I had to be daddy. I had to be everything that they ever needed in life. I had to be God. So to do that and then transition back into, you know, civilian mode, uh, you can't go into corporate America thinking you're God. You can, but it's probably not going to work out too well. So you have that decompression period. But one thing that was amazing is that after you got down off that high, pretty much, is that there were so many things that you did, believe it or not, it just blew my mind that helped me from my military experience to my civilian experience. What I had to do from a logistical standpoint every single day, most people in the civilian world couldn't handle for a day, let alone years, right? So to be able to, to do those things and get your brain attuned to it, to, to get your brain uh, more focused on problem solving 24-7, that's exactly what, a cor- what corporate America wants and needs. For the most part, people coming out of the military don't know that. They don't realize that. Uh, I was lucky enough to know that because I was in both of them. Do you miss, do you miss the military high? Uh, yeah, I do to an extent. Um, but, but then I remember what the toll is, uh, you know, on, on the family, uh, you know, on, on just everything that you do. So, you know, I look back on that time as just an amazing time in building my life and who I am and then obviously who I am today. So, uh, don't, don't wish to go back to it, but am incredibly happy that I had an opportunity to serve. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, so you mentioned, uh, built who do you, who you are today? So tell me what your, uh, what is most of your day to day consumed of? What do you get? What are you working on? I know you've got the fantastic podcast. You're doing some really, really <laughs> cool things. So, so give me the, give me the lowdown on what you're up to now. Yeah, I pretty much a hundred percent of my time right now is podcasting. Believe it or not. It, it, it to say it really, I can't believe it. Uh, I'm uh, just so humbled 
at the amount of listeners that we have uh, and how engaged they are. Having a ton of listeners is one thing, but the engagement is something and it just, it takes it to a next level of non-belief, right? Uh, and uh, and then the the sponsors who keep, you know, trying to get in the door. We only have so many slots and we only have so much inventory, um, but we have companies coming to us on a daily basis saying, how can we get involved? And that's how the, the podcast really grew. Uh, we started out, uh, actually, I started, uh, Joel Cheeseman, my podcast partner, and I have been friends for 15 plus years. I, uh, I, I start rapping on his, his noggin and saying, dude, we need to do a podcast. We need to do a podcast. I had just left Ronstad, uh, source, right? Which is RPO. I built their first veteran hiring program. I'd done all these things for two years and my head was down really working heavily on that project. So my personal brand had taken a hit because I wasn't in the market like I should have been. And neither was he. He just started up a company called Ratedly. And uh, I said, this will help us with our personal brand. Not to mention, I've listened to all these podcasts that are out there. And uh, none of them are really fun to listen to. I mean, you know, they're informative, they're educational. Some of them will easily put you to sleep. But there's nothing out there that is smack you in the face truth. And um, why don't we can do I give that? a Can I give a Can I give an added thought to that as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've learned something and it's not a surprise and, uh, feel free to, uh, if you ever listen to my podcast, uh, please give me feedback if I do this, but you know how most people, it, it, it feels like most people ask questions so that they can answer the question themselves Yeah. or people say, I have a question, then proceed with a lot of opinions, then proceed with a lot of comments and then kind of more or less say, and, and so what do you think about that? And it's not really actually asking questions, <laughs> which is fascinating to me because I think majority of podcasts I listen to are very much like somebody really just wants to talk, but they mask it by having guests and that are, they're just kind of yawn and boring. And so if, if, you know, if you listen to mine and you think that's true, please tell me because that'd be <laughs> hypocrisy at its finest. But that's one thing I've tried to emphasize a little bit is just not to be somebody who's like, this is just an excuse for me to talk. If, if so, I wish people just had their own like talk show or make a podcast. Hey, here are things I'm talking about. That's great, but don't necessarily mask it with like, I don't know. Yeah, but I think there's a difference there because that is like really your old fashioned question and answer type of, um, I, I guess, really format, right? Uh, our format, not always, but for the most part, is two guys on a mic talking shit um, about the industry because of whatever news has happened or what happened or what have you. When we do interviews, we try to incorporate that third person into the discussion. Not yeah, yeah, really yeah. to ask a question or to get that deep. Now, sometimes we do because, I mean, get some heavy hitters. It's like, I just want to hear you talk, right? Yeah. But for the just most- speak. Just speak. I just want to listen. I'm it, recording this so I can fall asleep to this at night. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and uh, But for the most part, I, that's why I, another thing that I think is a little bit different is that you have Joel on one side, me on the other, and we're almost like attacking the guest. Um, and, and that's what they should feel like. It, they should feel like this is not going to be a softball kind of question. And the answer, we're definitely going to question the answer as well. So I, I get where you're coming from, but I think there are, there's more than one format to, to, sure. to a podcast or an interview. There's no feeling like 
getting a guest who you know is like a heavy hitter, a public speaker a lot, and they're telling sort of what seems like their very repetitive story or brand or what they're trying to, but when you actually ask a question that you know they finally are like mentally off record yeah. and like, or off script, yeah. that is such, like one of my greatest highs is like a podcast guest. Like now we finally reached a point where I'm getting to know you versus the other hundred things you could YouTube search and hear about this person. Yeah. Yeah. Get, get them off track and off the pretty much the, the, the trail, right? The political trail. Here are the three things I want to talk about. And that's what it always comes back around to. So you and your partner, Joel, basically talk about HR tech industry, right? That's the scope? or Yeah. What's the, what's- see, and that's the thing is that HR is about people. Um, the problem with HR is it's it's generally a bunch of wimps who just cower in the corner and they're not a part of the grander scheme and uh, go-to-market strategy for many organizations, especially big companies who've already gone to market, right? But they're continuing. I mean, you never stop going to market, right? So anyway, what we try to do is we try to challenge that, you know, HR and talent is the center of the universe because people really are the center of the universe until we're all gone. Um, especially when it comes to, when it comes to business, businesses don't exist yet, uh, without people who are making the product, delivering the product, providing the customer service, doing those things. So we talk a lot about workforce. We talk a lot about the, uh, economic development, economics overall, uh, wages, disparity, uh, you know, individuals with disabilities, you know, not getting hired, those types of things. So, I mean, it it really runs the gamut. And for fun, you know, we'll throw sex robots in every now and again. Yeah, just a little sprinkle at the end, just to keep it a little exciting. If they're Um, in the news, if they're in the news, they're in the news. It's relevant topic. You know, you're you're just talking about what's in the news. I think so. Yeah, it's it's important. (laughs) All right. So uh, out of all those different things, if you could say, like if you and your partner said, we're done with the podcast, done, close it up, wrap it up. And that podcast left blank mark on the industry, on a certain demographic of of people or people groups. I know like uh, veteran workforce is important to you. Like what would be ultimately like the great accomplishment you'd feel thrilled about that you did with the podcast? I think the accomplishment would be that uh, people were educated, right? And and they felt like we challenged them constantly and they were now challenged to go out and actually push as opposed to, to sitting back and waiting for somebody to give to them. Uh, that's the main focus behind what we do is really, it's what we call edutainment, you know, we, we want to educate, but we want to do it in, an, in a, a very entertaining way uh, to think of us not being in the space anymore. Uh, I would hope that somebody else would step up and fill that gap. That would be my hope. One of our listeners who believe in what we were doing would step up and fill that gap because the education piece for us, the no bullshit, this is what's going on education piece, I didn't feel was there before us. And if we're not around anymore, I, that would be, again, like one of my soldiers coming up and taking my position as a drill sergeant later in life to have one of our listeners do the same type of thing would mean everything to me. How much of your, your, uh, 
how much do you think your presence as a military, no bullshit, no knocks, uh, how much of the, uh, how do I ask this? How often do you think that that's an asset to the industry because it is so different versus how often do you think it's like a turnoff to like, as you alluded to the, the wimpy HR person, <laughs> do you think it's like, what do you, what do you think you're inter- Obviously you guys have hell of a listeners and active follower base, but how do you think that's like received among the wimpy HR people or the people who are like, wow, that's, he said it, gave it to me straight. Yeah. I, th- I think there is again, the personas, uh, you know, I was in corporate America for, for a good amount of time, 20 plus years, and I can get into corporate speak. There's no, there's no problem with that. I don't need to be dropping F-bombs on stage. But when I get into, you know, the Chad and Cheese persona, uh, that is, is really me trying to wake people up and shake them. Uh, and I, I believe my, my background in the military gives me the opportunity and the skill set to do both. Um, I, I think my experience does that as well. My connections do that as well. If I didn't have that, then it would be pretty hollow. So, you know, I think, I think my experience has a lot to do with it. Uh, and the military piece, uh, obviously probably gives me a little bit more cred. So you were at the forefront of like monster becoming monster. And then now you talk about the, you know, the industry all day long, uh, read about it, newsworthy, you know, where do you see the, the broader shift? Yes. Kind of COVID related question, but I'd rather want to, you know, drink many, many bourbons to get me through another conversation related to COVID. But like, where do you see the industry going now and what uh, just all the information that you're soaking up and speaking into and digesting, like where's the industry headed? Where's like the whole conversation around talent going? Yeah. I hope it's going to uh, adoption of more technology. Um, That's the, the biggest issue that talent acquisition and HR have is their rate of adoption is slow as molasses in January. It is ridiculous. (laughs) Um, Their inability to, see the dots, let alone connect the dots, which is another reason why we do the podcast and we do so much on, on technology is to be able to try to pull that veil. Um, so what I, I would hope to see is quicker adoption. We're hearing that's what's happening because, because of COVID, town acquisition HR didn't see it coming. Okay, guys, you get a pass on this one. But what you're not going to get a pass on is when we get ready to scale when that light switches back on and we need talent and we need to produce, you're not going to get a pass if it takes you two weeks to get people in the seat. You're not going to get a pass if it's going to take you, you know, uh, two days to get an engineer in a slot that we need to get firing today. So any of the smart talent acquisition HR peeps that are out there should be, hopefully are, doing a ton of research into the technologies and the different platforms that can get them to scale much faster. And then again, they can be a part of that bigger business conversation at that point as well. It, uh, it warms my heart to hear you say that as a technology vendor selling to that space. Um, it was amazing to see, I mean, we're in the video interviewing space yeah, and to speak to the people six uh, a year ago who we were selling to who would say wow this is amazing this is you know 
this is the way things are going. Video is going to be a part of the hiring process. This is so good. We're just not ready to like adopt that right now that, you know, there's going to be a time where this is going to make sense. And then six months later, those were the people saying we need it today. How do we get this fired up and start running today? And it yeah. was like, I, it made, it not, obviously the sales don't hurt. Right. But, but oh, yeah. more, more the adoption of things to finally have like a reason to move quickly. And I think that culture is beginning to creep in, which is cool. I'm pretty stoked about it. Yeah. We are going, we have to retool. We should have retooled a decade ago. Number one. Okay. We are too slow. We didn't do that. The time is now we miss some time. Now it's time to catch up and technology today, processing speed and, and the ability to actually grind on the mountains of data that we have. Um, we can do that much easier than we could 10 years ago. So I, for the smart leader in HR and TA, uh, they're they're looking to retool their entire process from the ground up. They're not they're not looking to try to layer on more shit because they already have enough redundancy as it is. They're looking to build a 21st century hiring process, not augment the uh, the the anchor that they had for years. I was on a podcast with a couple guys um, last week, and then also it's a conversation I've I've started to bring up to people who are very, very much super excited about that. Yeah, I worked in the expensive office downtown New York City or Chicago or Boston or whatever, and now yeah. I get you know the freedom of working remote. So awesome, wonderful, great. That sounds fantastic. You can work in your boxers all day long, that whole thing. But all of a sudden, do you think companies two years from now are going to say, we're paying you know, 40% salary increases for somebody who used to work in a city who now no longer does so, let's lay off those group of people because we can go hire the same person who doesn't live in the expensive city. How do you see like the more now with everybody shifting remote becoming transactional happening? That's that's a great question. And and as we watch kind of like the the inverse of that happen with uh, Facebook and them docking pay, for individuals who are moving out of Silicon Valley, right? So that's going to be a discussion um, that companies are going to have to have internally and with their talent uh, to be able to afford Silicon Valley type of talents that that's expensive and because cost of living, right? What about trying to get that same exact individual somewhere else in the world, that that isn't on such expensive land or what have you. Uh, yeah, I think there, there's the opportunity to do that. But here's here's the the trick bag that we're going to find ourselves in, and what uh, what Facebook's going to find themselves in is that they're going to be paying a developer in Silicon Valley, let's say, uh, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, and then they're going to get the same the, the same type of individual in Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. Doing the exact same job, the exact same projects, the exact same deliverables and paying them 150,000. So the question is, why is that person worth a hundred thousand dollars less? It's not because where they live, because the work can be done anywhere. Right. And to be able to point at cost of living is just a bullshit scam because to be quite frank, most of these companies are going to reduce their footprints. REI is selling their corporate headquarters that they just built. How much money do you think they're going to save on that 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 whole uh, scenario? 
not to mention not having to worry about uh, bringing people in, commute times, happier people, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there are many different layers of, uh, of conversations that need to happen to really figure this out. But overall, the big question is, is the person, is the value of the individual in Des Moines, Iowa, the same as the individual in Silicon Valley? They're doing the same work. They're providing the same deliverable. Are the value, is the value the same? That's going to be a hard discussion moving forward. And I see regulations coming out, hopefully to slap some of those companies around. For sure. And and also to add to that, you, you stop and think about the the companies that are shifting to remote work, are reducing their physical footprint. Therefore, one would think they have a little bit more budget for their talent as well, too. But yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, I don't really and, know how companies work. And but this is it, man. It's all about it's all about shareholder value. What they can right. do, and and at that point, anybody who starts talking about shareholder value have has already lost me in supporting their brand because they should be they should be focusing on the employees first. If they're doing that, the employees put out great product, which obviously raise the value of the entire organization. You don't have to talk about shareholder value, right? Yeah, it's a byproduct. I, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's such a rolling steam if you actually set the things up beforehand. Exactly, exactly. So let's talk about new products. <laughs> you well, like that transition? Not yeah. Like, quick beer out on it. So... Give me, give me your, give me your thoughts on that. I know, I know that was one of the things that you wanted to cover a little bit. Yeah, we have, I mean, we, what we've done since we've launched the podcast in uh, 2017 is we're just a couple of dudes, right? And two guys can't scale incredibly well. So we wanted to find a way to, uh, to, to, to find a support mechanism uh, to help us out. So uh, we actually joined Evergreen Podcasts. Uh, they provide technology, sales infrastructure, marketing, just a, a bunch of things that we needed to be able to give us more time so we can scale. Uh, during that, it gave me more time to think, which is always a dangerous proposition. Ask Joel. He's yeah. I don't. I don't. I, I already don't like the sound of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so from our standpoint, we are looking to retool uh, our website and really our our delivery itself. Uh, we have big companies uh, in our space that actually use our content as educational content for their employees, which when I say it, it's, it's almost like a dream, right? It's like they do what they, they use what you say on a podcast for educate. Okay, cool. So what we're doing is we're categorizing things to make that easier for more companies to be able to easily consume and provide for their, their people. Right. And overall, what that does is it make it makes it easier for us to leverage our back catalog. We have over 500 podcasts, probably close to 550 or something like that now um, in our back catalog. And, and it's great content uh, that is really hard to get to because if you go to any podcast today and let's say you go to Google uh, podcast or, or Apple and try to search on something from a category standpoint, it's just, it's, it's almost impossible. 
So we're creating a website that will provide that kind of delivery so that we can obviously broaden our listenership base and uh, and drive more listens uh, to relevant content. And, and again, help the industry out and there's going to be no charge to, to, to any of that. So it's more of a, a mechanism for content delivery, which is what Netflix does, right? That's exactly right. Have you uh, have you chewed on the idea of like the Tim Ferriss, like basically convert the podcast into a book? Yeah. <laughs> and we have so much content to be able right. to I do that. I was about to say 550. That's, you know, five books right there. <laughs> yeah, we have. Um, and we have transcriptions for all of our podcasts on on the uh, website, too. Great for, obviously, all of those individuals who are hard of hearing and for search engine optimization. I mean, Google loves text. It doesn't quite understand audio just yet. So yeah, uh, that is something, you know, that we're, we're, we're thinking about right now. We're also, uh, our fans love merch. So, um, they're really getting over my skis right now. Uh, we're, we're pulling together a store for t-shirts, uh, mugs. I mean, just stupid Chad and cheese shit all over the place. Uh, and, and one thing that, I, I won't get into too much detail, but working with our friends at Evergreen Podcasts, we're actually looking at creating uh, some masterclass audio podcasts. Uh, so once again, I, I think when you take a look at podcasts today, there's amazing content that's out there. I mean, some of the stuff that I listen to, and then I want to go back and listen to later, it's just a bitch to try to find and categorize and and, and remember where it was. Uh, again, trying to build p- platforms and podcasts that we can monetize. So much like the masterclass, you're familiar with the, the whole masterclass programs where like Snoop Dogg teaches you how to smoke weed and, 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 uh, cook food. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> Same kind of thing, but doing it as, from an, an audio standpoint and being able to do it with heavy hitters. Um, not, not Snoop Dogg, of course, but heavy hitters <laughs> in specific industries. So that's something that, uh, that is another project that we're working on too. I mean, so, so for lack of better terms, are you thinking like a David Goggins takes you on a run sort of thing? it could be uh in this case you know if you if you take a look at again just trying to base it off of master class uh if you take a look at what they are doing in their courses uh doing that in audio form but doing it in a different way but doing it in audio form with heavy hitting brands all right cool i'm in i want to listen (laughs) <laughs> listener number one count me in <laughs> you catch in okay cool i'll get you oh, yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna it. be subscription based so uh <laughs> all right perfect i better get a t-shirt along the way i'll probably buy that too <laughs> that's a good idea, that's, a good idea. <laughs> that's awesome all right so uh two questions question number one is uh what what should i have asked you that i didn't that uh you think i is, is lame that i didn't even touch on and number two um what gets you out of bed in the morning Number one, everybody always asks us, how the fuck did you guys do it with the podcast? And what did you do to make this thing explode? Um, And 
I think the, the easiest answer is if you go into anything, even a hobby, planning for it to be a business, then your odds are much better. Uh, we focused on content. We focused on marketing. We focused on uh, sponsorships. Um, we weren't doing this crappy, you know, um, cost per thousand model that most uh, most podcasts are doing. So we we kind of uh, flipped the script on uh, on many of the sponsors that are out there, and we started turning sponsors down <laughs> because we didn't like what they were doing. Uh, we really focused on becoming a cult brand, and my favorite book. Uh, give me a second. I'm sorry here. My favorite book from Douglas Adkin, The Culting of Brands, read that. Uh, it helped us better understand what we needed to do to be able to press forward and turn something that we were passionate about into a business, right? Joel's not really passionate about much, so uh, we had to do a lot of business work on that one. Yeah, you um, really had to get him going. I get had it. I had get to it. get him going. Yeah. When it comes to what gets me out of bed, um, learning. I mean, every single day when I get up, there's got to be something new that's happening. And for me, it's all about the puzzle. Uh, I always say that uh, not everybody can see the dots and even fewer people can connect the dots. That's the guy I always want to be. I always want to be the guy who can see the dots and connect the dots. And those dots, in some cases, are information coming out in news form, new technologies, uh, people moving from company to company, uh, those dots meaning new connections uh, or old connections to be able to get you to that end result and being able to connect the dots. That's the thing that always excites me when I'm on a project. How can I put this together? How can I have fun? And how, how do I get to the end of this and connect the dots? I love it. I love it. So obviously people can follow you uh, through the podcast. What else? Twitter handles, LinkedIn. Where do you want people to contact you? Yeah. Go to chadcheese.com. If you're going to listen to the podcast, make sure that you have your earbuds in because it's definitely not safe for work or the little kids that are running around in the background. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Chad underscore SoWash, S-O-W-A-S-H. Or on LinkedIn, I am literally the only Chad Sowash on LinkedIn. I think probably on the internet. Uh, That's so got to be such a good feeling. Makes, makes it so much easier, right? Yeah, <laughs> nobody else wanted my name, and I'm cool with that. <laughs> I'll make sure to include show notes uh, and links for that and for people to reach out. But uh, Chad, anything else you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, man, I appreciate you you having me on. And uh, who knows? You know, maybe Wedgie will be uh, will be the the big act coming in uh, 2021. We're ready to be your uh, your follow up T-shirt uh, product if we're <laughs> if we're labeling as, as Wedgie. So happy to we, help. We should collaborate on that. I'm in. All right, man. Thank you. Thanks, man.